Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Please remain standing for this morning's scripture reading found in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Come, Holy Spirit. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been mourned in a dream, not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. No, it's afternoon, flip me, sorry. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, it is great to see you. Um, if you've not met before, my name's Stu. I'm one of the pastors here at the Vineyard. And thank you for joining us on this, the third Sunday in Advent. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been quietly journeying through this season of slowing down. A season of waiting and longing as we make room in our hearts and our lives for Emmanuel once again. We've been dwelling upon the incarnation, which at its center, we find the revelation of the heart of God, a heart that is full of infinite love. And through reflecting on the incarnation, we've been invited to open ourselves up once again to the wonder and the witness of Jesus. Advent is deliberately slow and reflective like a good conspiracy theory documentary or a nice glass of red or a young Stu Bothwell. It's a bit slow and a little bit reflective. Um, yes, that got like three more laughs than the 9.30, so thank you for that. I was kind of, should I put that in? Should I take it out? Anyway, um, we have been deliberately slow and um, you'll notice that in church life, tribes aren't meeting at the minute and they will be kicking back into gear in January and please do keep your eye out on our website for all of the information about that. Advent is a season for us to sit by the hearth, for us to steal quiet moments, for us to attend to our humanness, like we talked about last Sunday, to open ourselves up to our deepest desires and to long for a change to come. And yet, like every season, there's always a turning, right? 
And today is the turning of the seasons because today in the third Sunday of Advent or what is known in the church calendar as Godet Sunday, which is named after the Latin word rejoice, we can begin to look ahead to the season that is to come, the next season that awaits us as the church, the season of Christmas tide, whenever we hear once again the good news of great joy for all people that Christ has come the word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Today, we can begin to celebrate Christmas just a little bit early. So Chris, do you wanna stick Mariah on for just a second? No, don't, please don't. Please, please don't, trying to preach up here. Um, We get to celebrate Christmas a little bit early. We get to be joyful. After a season of kind of waiting and longing, we can begin to celebrate the coming of Jesus. But here's the thing. We need Advent more than ever before. Christmas has kind of taken over Advent. Christmas now begins like the second week in November, but we need this season in between, this in-between interim season for us to wait. Otherwise, we just lose sight of what Jesus is inviting us into. Karl Barth puts it like this, what other time or season can or will the church ever have but that of Advent? We as a church are always in Advent. It's not just a couple of weeks at the start of December, it actually is who we are and the season that we're consistently living into as the church. It's where we as the church live because we find ourselves in between two advents. Christ has come and we're gonna celebrate that at Christmas time, but we're longing for a second advent whenever Christ is going to appear once again. And we live in this in-between space between the first arrival of Christ in Bethlehem and the second arrival of Christ whenever he appears in glory. And the wonder of it all is that in this in-between interim space, Jesus continues to make his arrival every single day as he presences himself amongst us. And so the season of Advent that we've been engaging with as a community, it allows us to rehearse or practice how we're to live every single day as we learn to hold the tension between what is and what could be. Because in Advent, we get to practice waiting as we long for our hopes to be revealed. We need Advent. Because if we just keep our heads down from like second week in November, rush through to Christmas, just sort of celebrate a little bit, sing a few carols, and then it's New Year's, and then we're straight back into work again, we can just get caught up in the same cycle of the same old, same old, consistently just staying busy all the time. And we can end up thinking that the source of our hopes and the source of any movement in our lives is all down to us, our energies and our efforts. The rhythms of our life, how we spend our time, they affect and change our perspectives, our vision of what is going on in the world. Or as Annie Dillard so helpfully puts it, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. We need this season, we need these few weeks to open ourselves up to the possibility that something outside of ourselves and our sense of normality is taking place amongst us. Because in Advent, we see that a different future is not only possible, but it's beginning to take shape amongst us. And so today, on this, the third Sunday in Advent, I wanna take a few moments to teach into the second arrival of Jesus. And this is a conversation that I'm aware We we sometimes shy away from this conversation. The second coming is usually how we talk about it. 
And usually we get so put off by this conversation because of really bad, hyped up fundamentalist theology, or it feels way too massive for us to get our heads around. And I'm not gonna be able to teach into the depths of this in the next 20 minutes before we share bread and wine, but I wanna take a few moments just to help reframe our thinking around the second advent of Jesus, his arrival amongst us. Because I want us to see that it is all that we have been waiting for and that it is the source of our hope and all of our joy. And before getting into the teaching text that Andy read earlier, I want to read just a few words from Isaiah 42. As part of our 321 readings, um, we kind of give you readings from Monday through to Friday. And then at the weekends, we give you a little bit more space to dwell on one particular passage. And over the past three weeks, we've been inviting you to spend some time quietly meditating and contemplating the wonderful words of Isaiah 42. And it ends with, oh, sorry, with the passage that we want you to read ends with these two verses. Uh, this is the words of Isaiah. And really, this is what I'm getting at today. I am the Lord, and that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. But see, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Let's pray for just a few moments, shall we? Lord Jesus, into this moment, into our bodies, into our lives, into this room, and into the rooms that our children are worshiping and learning about you, into our, the lives of our families, our community, this city, this region, into the life of this nation, we simply say, would you come once again? Jesus, would you teach us? We are your students, you are the true rabbi. Jesus, we are your sheep and you are our shepherd. You're the one that guides us and leads us into all truth. And so, Holy Spirit, would you lead us today? Would you guide us today? And would you open us up to what you are doing in the world? We love you, Lord, in your name, amen. In the teaching text that Andy read earlier from Matthew 2, we see this contrast between two kings, between Jesus the Messiah and King Herod. And we have this king, King Herod, who was a Roman king who was inaugurated at age 33. He ruled from a palace and led with corrupt aggression. And then on the other hand, you have Jesus of Nazareth, born into poverty, living on the margins and executed at 33 years old on a Roman cross. And in between these two kings, we have the Magi, these wise men who are waiting to welcome the king of the Jews into Israel. And they see this star and they travel to the capital of Judea to meet with the Messiah, only to find out in fulfillment of Micah's prophecy that actually he is born in Bethlehem. And so they travel to the house that Mary had just given birth in and they see this baby and their instinct is just to fall to their knees in worship and in adoration. And they present him with gifts that are befitting a king, gold, which would have fitted out all of the palaces, frankincense, which was used by priests in the temple, and myrrh, the most Northern Irish word possible, and which would have been, just say it, myrrh. It's like, you know what I mean? It just sounds so Northern Irish, doesn't it? And myrrh, I don't even know how to say it right. I'm just gonna go for it. Myrrh was a thing that was used to embalm bodies. Um, they knew this. They were so wise and switched on because the Magi realized that true kingship is revealed not in like polit uh, hustling for political authority, but actually in giving up your life. And giving up your life in this case, not just for one nation, but actually for the entirety of humanity. And Herod is rattled by this. 
So the Magi come asking, where is this long-expected king of the Jews? Where is the Messiah? And Herod kind of sneakily sends them off and waits for their return, but they don't return back because the Lord has invited them to go a different way. And Herod is so threatened by all of this that he sends his people to go and murder all boys in and around Bethlehem under the age of two. He is rattled by this. Matthew, as he records this, it's really important to note that he loves a bit of politics. And I know we're tired from election season, right? Um, thank goodness it's over. But I want you to notice just how much of a political statement is going on right here. Because as he contrasts these two kings, Matthew is saying that one greater than Herod, one greater than Caesar has come into the world. What we're talking about here is the true emperor who's not just gonna rule over one nation, but is gonna reveal his rule and reign over everything. And every leader, every politician, every single one of us should feel like Herod, a little bit uneasy, unsettled by this God lying in a manger because just like the Magi, we await the day whenever every single leader, every single president, every single prime minister, every CEO, every single one of us, and every single person who has or who will ever live will one day fall to their knees in worship and in adoration as they witness the glory of the king. Because this Messiah that the Magi were waiting for, he isn't just the king of the Jews, he's the king of kings, the leader of leaders, he is the Lord of all, and why? Why does he deserve that kind of title? Why does he deserve that kind of adoration? Because Jesus is the only one who has the power, the authority, but most importantly, the heart to fulfill all of our hopes. So let's talk about the second coming of Jesus, shall we? Our hope is based on three truths. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. We love talking about the first two, right? but we're pretty hesitant about the third. So would you give me like, let's go for five minutes to go on a theological deep dive around our hopeful future. Yes. Thanks, Jess, brilliant. Um, okay, consider it your Christmas gift to me, a proper nerd up here. So I'm just gonna go for five minutes, all right? And we'll just see how we get on. So as we've seen over the course of the past couple of weeks through the incarnation, Jesus reveals the pattern of our lives in this present age. He shows us how to live life really, really well as we practice his way in the midst of our humanness and our dailiness. Yet not only is Jesus the pattern for our present, he is also the prototype for our future. It says it in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus is the first fruits of our hope. Through his resurrection, he is the one who paves the way for our glorious future. And let me unpack what I mean by that. And actually, let me just say this before I get into this. I'm not rattling through, there will be a lot of rattling through a lot of theology here. I'm not rattling through this because it's unimportant. In fact, what I'm rattling through is potentially some of the most important things that you'll ever hear. It, this is the stuff that keeps us up at night. It's the stuff that causes us to question some things. And I'm also really aware, uh, some of us have had a hard year with difficult things that have happened. Some of us have experienced hard, hard grief. And so I want you just to know that I'm not rattling through this because of any other reason than time. I'm wanting us to be able to spend some time around the table of communion, the perfect response to this kind of conversation. This stuff is so important. So hear me in this. I'm not rattling through it because it's not important. Is that all right? When we give up our final breath, as we all will, 
those of us who are in Christ Jesus will instantly go to be with him in glory. Do you remember the criminal hanging on the cross beside Jesus? Jesus turned to him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. In death, we will be in the glory, instantly in death, we will be in the glorious heavenly presence of Jesus in paradise. That is the comfort of life after death. And yet there is something greater than the comfort of life after death. It's the hope of life after life after death. Because at the end of our story, as we read about it in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, there's gonna be a second advent whenever Christ is going to appear once again. And there's gonna be this marriage of heaven and earth as heaven and all of its citizens will arrive down to a new earth. Because remember, the movement of God is always him appearing amongst us, not us escaping towards him. The old is not gonna be wiped away or destroyed. There's no reset button whenever it comes to God, but everything is gonna be redeemed in the full arrival of new creation from the womb of the old. And as Paul puts it in Philippians chapter three, so now we as citizens of heaven, recognizing that we're not gonna stay up there, retiring in eternity as just souls or spirits, but in expectation of the renewal of all things, we're eagerly awaiting Jesus to come back again, who's going to draw heaven fully down to earth, bringing everything under his control and also transforming our bodies so they will be like his glorious body. God is not planning on wiping out everything and starting again. Why? Because he is a redeemer, a transformer. He is one who takes the raw elements of us and this very earth and he makes it new. In the incarnation over the course of the past couple of weeks, we have seen that our physicality, our bodies, the culture and the very climate of this earth and what we do with them, they are so important to God. He longs to redeem them and so should we. They're so important to him that he chooses to manifest himself in a body and in time and in place. In 1 John chapter three, it says this, whenever Christ appears, we will be like him. Jesus is our prototype. What happened to him in the resurrection is also going to happen to us. We're gonna follow the way of Jesus, who after his resurrection became the first fruits of the age that is to come. So we too are gonna to receive a resurrection body. We're gonna see the restoration of elements of our old body, which are gonna join with the new as we join with Christ in ruling over creation. Do you remember on Resurrection Sunday, whenever Jesus enters into the room that the disciples had locked themselves inside of? They didn't recognize Jesus at first. There's parts of the resurrection body that are certainly new, different, unrecognizable. And yet, after Jesus took some bread and broke it, the disciples' eyes were open to be able to see him. And how could they tell that it was him? It was his wounds, it was his scars. The bits of him that made him human, they were able to see him, recognize him, even in this new body. And so with us and our new resurrected bodies, we will be like him. We will resemble Jesus and yet not lose ourselves in the process. We will look like him, be like him. It's the best part of life that I await a day whenever I am going to fully resemble Jesus, the one that I'm giving my life for, my hero, the one that I love and adore, I am gonna be like him one day. 
And yet he loves me and honors me and my humanity and my physicality enough that he doesn't want to, me to lose myself in the process. Actually, in the coming together of the old and the new, I will get to resemble Jesus as Stuart Bothwell. The wonderful, gracious truth of the resurrection. We will resemble him and yet we will also dwell with him forever in a new city. I've got some really good news for you today. God is not done with the world yet. He is going to redeem the entire universe. Jesus' resurrection was the beginning of that new life and we await a second advent whenever all of the earth and our bodies will be made right and new. Once again, that is our hope. Our hope is found in the resurrection, the reign and the return of Jesus. And so we await this second advent, whereas Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is gonna hand the kingdom over to God the Father and all dominions, all authorities, all powers, and even death itself will be put under the feet of Jesus and God will be all in all. Eschatology or looking at the end of things, it shouldn't scare us. It doesn't need to. In fact, it is our hope. So many times we get stumped on this question because we're like, what does it feel like? What is it gonna be like? Trust me, the experience that we're gonna have in the future, it is gonna feel even more real than this right now. This world and your lives are headed somewhere under the guidance of God towards his new world of justice, healing, and hope. And yet, not all is right with the world right now. With poverty, breakdown, conflict, injustice, depression, loneliness, and of course, death. And whenever we consider all of these things, our hearts break and our eyes tear up. But we await a day whenever every tear is gonna be wiped away and our hopes are gonna be realized whenever the old enemies of human flourishing, even death itself, are gonna be done away with forever. There'll be no more death. No more mourning, no more crying or pain because the old order of things will have passed away and we are gonna reign with God. The memories of hurt and hardship will be forgotten as we feast on the goodness of Jesus's presence. The whole world and our very bodies will be healed as it's flooded with the light of God's presence. Jesus is making everything new and that is our hope. That's the kind of hope that no one else can deliver on. And we, in all of that, are to eagerly await the return of the king. And yet, we find ourselves in this in-between space, between two advents, as we hold the tension of what is and what will be. And for the joy that's set before us, we do wait, but our waiting shouldn't be this kind of cling on to the end, retire in the background kind of waiting. We're invited into a waiting that's much more active and dynamic because the kingdom that we long for is already here. It's alive, it's at hand, it's amongst us. We aren't just to wait for the kingdom to come, we are to invite it, welcome it into the dailiness of our lives. Jesus himself introduced his kingdom at 30 years old. This reign and rule of the king and since that time, real signs of the kingdom have been breaking into the present moment, bringing transformation. You just need to have eyes to see it. It's clear to everyone around us that we live in a time of the not yet of the kingdom. Not everything is right in the world. 
And yet it should be so clear for us as the church that we live in the now of the kingdom. And it's into that kind of attention, into the waiting, that we're to be those who are alive to the daily advents of Jesus as he appears amongst us, as he arrives in our midst. History says, don't hope on this side of the grave, but we are those who can and should be seeing the righteousness, redemption, beauty, healing, and miracles of the future shape our present reality and the lives of people around us. As we are those who long for Jesus, we're to be the kind of people who are to join him in his prayer. God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done today in this present moment as it is in heaven. We're to be those here to witness miracles, the peace and the provision of the good future, the justice and the restoration of the kingdom become present amongst us. We, brothers and sisters, mustn't settle for things the way that they are. We mustn't get weighed down by pessimism or by cynicism because whenever we expect that everything is gonna stay the same, so often we consciously or subconsciously ensure that it does. We are to be those who are to be alive to hope. Or as Jürgen Moltmann puts it, it's gonna appear on the screen from first to last, Christianity is hope, looking forward and forward moving, and therefore also revolutionizing and transforming the present. Our waiting is an active waiting. All right most of the theology over, you're probably glad to hear. The question that you may be asking is, okay, well, what do we do with all that? How do we live in the tension of these two advents? Well, I want you to notice what's been going on in the life of our community over the course of the past couple of weeks. Because on one hand, we have been in waiting through slowing down, through certain teachings and songs and opening up the scriptures through 321 by quietly uttering, come Lord Jesus in moments of our days. We've been practicing waiting. We've been engaging um, in what Jesus is wanting to do amongst us, attending to our desires and longing for something new. We've been waiting. And yet on the other hand, particularly through Love Lagged Valley, but also, which is just amazing, through other stories that are just emerging in our community, we've also been at work. We've been busy, in one sense, doing the work of the kingdom. We've been living generously, we've been sacrificing lots, we've been giving up our time, we've been transforming and painting houses, we've been praying for people on staircases, we've been giving gifts on behalf of those who are behind bars, and why? So that the goodness and the peace, the prosperity of the kingdom would be revealed in the lives of other people. In the past few weeks, we've been doing two things as a community. We've been waiting and we've been working. Waiting for the kingdom and working for it, building for the kingdom. And that is how we hold the tension between the now and the not yet. We wait and we work. That is what it looks like to seek first the kingdom. And just as we are always in Advent, we should always be working for the kingdom. This is not just things that we get to lead you in like every, every couple of months, but actually in our everyday lives, we're to be incarnating the way of the kingdom, pouring our lives out for the sake of others and seeing miracles take place while we do it. We eagerly await a future that is full of hope. And yet we are to incarnate that future hope across this region today. So as we partner with the king, we get to reveal his hope, allow people to see that actually the kingdom is so close. It's at hand, it's here. The times that we're in, they're trying to do something to us. They're trying to narrow us down, trying to, 
the, the age that we live in, it's trying to keep us so preoccupied about ourselves and our stories. And to keep going in this age, to keep surviving, to keep living. We spend so much of our lives just kind of building our own little kingdoms, kingdoms that are built on hard work and protecting ourselves. But the season that we find ourselves in, it's sometimes helpful to not necessarily consider the age, but the season that we're in. This season of Advent is also trying to do something to us. It's trying to expand our hearts, our lives, our vision. Advent invites us to see that there's a larger story that is taking place around us. It invites us to place our story into the Jesus story, to lay down the tools of building our own kingdoms and to welcome his kingdom amongst us. Because whenever we open ourselves up, rather than narrow ourselves down, we get to sense the presence of Emmanuel with us and we also receive his hope. Our good friend, a fellow conspirator in Nua, um, who is also gonna be speaking here in March, Alan Emerson puts it like this. He's gonna be really happy that I've quoted Karl Barth, Jürgen Moltmann, Alan Emerson. He's gonna love that. Alan puts it like this. To be fully alive is to be hope-filled. It follows that when we are hopeless, we are less in ourselves, we are deficient. We can't avoid disappointment in life and we are certainly not immune to it. But the greater truth is that we were created for hope. Seasons of disappointment will come. We should expect them and we may go through times whenever disappointment is a deeply real experience, but it should not be our fixed position. Hope should be our default mindset, our go-to theme, the soundtrack of our lives. Hope can become a constant for the child of God. Hope is both our compass and our destination. Not only is hope the resonant theme of our story, it also shapes and forms our very souls. Hope is your destination, it is your future, but hope can also be your compass every single day. In Matthew's retelling of the Jesus story, it seems as if he's holding off using the description that we hear the Magi use, the King of the Jews. Because after the Magi, Matthew doesn't pen these words until chapter 27. We'll get there in like 18 months time. And in chapter 27, Matthew uses this phrase in three, uh, three times in really quick succession. He uses it whenever Pilate asks him, are you king of the Jews? He writes it again whenever he describes the soldiers placing a placard above Jesus's head saying, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Above his bloodied and crowned head, we see those words. And we also find the soldiers spitting on him, hitting him in like fake bowing and saying, all heal, king of the Jews. With our obsession, with the impressive and the immediate, it's really easy to miss Jesus. A king, not born in a palace, but into somebody else's living room. A king, not inaugurated at 33, but murdered at 33. A king whose kingdom looks, well, it looks upside down. Where the first are last, where the mighty are brought low and it's widows and orphans who are elevated. A kingdom where glory is found not in getting, but in giving everything away. In our frantic, hurried, notification-driven lives, obsessed with the impressive and the immediate, it's really easy to miss Jesus. It's easy to stop waiting and working for his kingdom whenever we spend all of our time building our own. That 
is why we need Advent, the provocation of Advent. That's why we spent the past couple of weeks slowing down and paying attention to the form and the frame of Jesus. Why? So that we'll stop obsessing about ourselves and we'll begin to obsess way more about Jesus. That our hearts would be similar to that of the Magi, that whenever we look at him, gaze upon him, recognize him, that our instinct would be not to turn away or be distracted in another direction, but to fall to our knees in worship and in adoration. And it's not just three gifts that we get to offer him. We get to offer him our lives once again. As we slow down, as we pay attention, as we approach the unexpected, the fully human, vulnerable Jesus, our eyes get to be open to the wonder that he is also the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created in him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that he might have the supremacy in everything. For God in the incarnation was pleased to have his entire fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether they're on earth or in heaven by making peace by the blood of his cross. As the season of Advent begins to turn to Christmas, May we set our hearts on Jesus once again. May we recognize him for who he truly is, the humble human Lord, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, but also mighty God, the victor, the one before whom all powers, people and principalities will bow the knee like the magi as he makes everything new. Advent is the season for our souls to be shaped and formed by hope. So may you place your story into the Jesus story. May you see that he is your hope, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and he will come again. Today, in the time of now and not yet, may you make room for Jesus. May you welcome his kingdom as you await the return of the king. And every day, may the cry of your hearts, full of hope, be Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. One of the um, most important questions God asks us is, what do you want? What do you want? What kind of king are you looking for? One that looks like Herod or one that is Jesus? It amazes me how uh, leadership, governance and power in the world that we live in looks so much like Herod fearful, anxious, trying to grab and control, manipulate, worried about losing what it has. And into that, 
steps Jesus who redefines all of those things for us. And as we come to communion, we remember what real power looks like, what a real king does, and what the shape of our lives and our church should look like. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinthians. For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I love that at the center of our story is a king who is defined by his willingness to break himself for those who would come under his authority. His willingness to give and not take. His willingness to instill courage rather than operate out of fear. His compulsion to be open, not closed. And as we come to share communion together this morning, maybe you need your own advent right now. Maybe right here this afternoon in this kind of weird (laughs) converted warehouse, you need to welcome the arrival of the king you've always longed for whose name is Jesus. Maybe it's time to stop working so hard or being so bitter or just struggling so much. Maybe it's time to say, Jesus, I need you to not just come into the world, but to come into my life. So if you're able, will you stand? servant communion will you come and just before we um, we respond together I want us to take a moment just to be still just to be quiet maybe you guys will be quiet too just for a second come Holy Spirit Maybe if you're willing, would you just close your eyes for a second? You'll hear kids worshiping in the background, playing, some of us coughing. I love that this is exactly what he had in mind, not a perfect still moment, 
but a moment that's interrupted with the reality of human existence and yet pregnant with the presence of Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you so willingly gave yourself for us. Thank you for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. Maybe this morning you need to have your own advent. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you feel like you've been far from Jesus. Would you just place your hand on your heart? And just pray quietly this really simple prayer. Jesus, come and be king of my life. Come and be king of my life.